distraction for us all. Even the pastor can be an easy distraction sometimes. Like that would be good. Like I can, we can worship at the lake, right? I can live stream it. But do what? <laughs> we could all meet at the lake, right? That'd be fellowship together at the lake instead. We do. <laughs> we may have to do that sometime. I like the idea. Um, just when it's not too hot and sunny, because no. we don't want to get sunburnt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's pick up where we left off in uh, going through the Sermon on the Mount. So we are, we've been going through the book of Matthew, and we got Sermon on Mount chapter 5, and I think we've been here for three, four weeks now, I think we've been kind of walking through what Jesus was saying here. Um. And so I saw a, a statement that somebody wrote on, on this passage, and it says, Jesus is not calling for greater laws, but for greater character. Right? So the Old Testament was about the laws and following the laws and being obedient to the laws. And what Jesus has been calling for throughout this passage so far that we've been reading is he's been calling for a greater character, not blind obedience to a rule, but our character. And there's a difference between being a rule follower and having good character, right? And I tell you, we talk about with kids, there's a difference in our kids obeying us and then there's our kids obeying us, right? right? It's easy to obey and do what we're supposed to do, but inside we're complaining and whining about what we're doing. That's, that's following the law, right? But to do it and be happy in doing it and be joyful in being obedient, that's having good character. Right? There's a difference in that. Like we all like to work with people that have the good character and aren't just doing it with grumbling and complaining. Right? Philippians talks about that. Be it, do everything without grumbling or complaining. And that by grumbling and complaining, we're just following the, the rule of the law and we're being obedient to exactly what it says versus having good character and doing what God calls you to do in those moments. Uh, in Mark 7, 20-23, it says, From within, out of people's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a person, Right? Those aren't external things that come after us and make us bad. Those are things that are coming from within us and coming out, right? If we just follow the law, those are the things that may be inside of us that are coming out inside of it, right? That's a sign of our character. We have that good outside, white, clean outside look, right? It's like putting siding on an old house. It makes it look pretty from the outside, but the inside's falling apart, right? It's easy to throw up new paint. It's easy to fix the things that everybody sees and just ignore the hidden stuff, right? And so God does not want us doing that. So he's calling us to more than just a motion of obedience. He's calling us to give compassion, kindness, justice, mercy, and honesty, right? We all want more of those things in our lives, right? When we're dealing with people, we want them to be compassionate towards us. We want them to have kindness towards us. They want, we want them to be just with us, right? We want them to have mercy on us. And we want, them to, we want people to be honest with us. 
Well, if we want them to do that to us, what, what does that tell us we should be doing as followers of Christ? Right? We should be doing those for other people. We should be living that lifestyle as followers of Christ. So, so far in the Sermon on the Mount, we've read um, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the, right? We've had many blessed people there. There's the poor in the spirit, the mourn, the gentle, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, right? And those who are parts, those people are blessed, right? Jesus said that, and those are always things that we think of getting a blessing from. And so I'm not going to go too in-depth with those again today, right? If you want to catch those back up, you can go back and catch on the Spotify deal that we have, the, the podcast. It's on there. And you can go back and re-listen to that or just read through them yourself and study them. And if you really want to dig in, find somebody who's better at speaking about it than I am. And that's Jesus and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> right? And then it goes on. It goes from there. Uh, so there Jesus wanted us to be humble as his followers. And then the followers, Jesus, are called to be salt in the light of the world. We're, we're called to be a difference maker in the world. We're, we're called to be something that brings good to the world, right? A world without light would be a sad world, right? The lightness helps, us, helps others see around us. Uh, we were at a concert with, the, with my kids and some of their friends yesterday, and it was dark, and everybody had their cell phone flashlights on. I mean, for those in the older generation, they had a flashlight, uh, not a flashlight, a lighter that they would go, right? But you remember how much light did just those individual little lights bring to the entire stadium of people, right? One, one lighter, one, one flash, one um, camera light didn't do a whole lot, but when everybody had on, the whole place brightened up, right? And that's what we're called to be as Christians. When we're, when we're by ourselves, we're not, we make a little bit of light, we can be seen. But when we gather together as a fellowship, as a body, we create a lighthouse, a beacon for all to see, right? We should be that light. I mean, we all know what salt does to food, right? I don't taste it that well myself because I don't have great taste. But you hear all the time people get food and they go, oh, that needs salt. Or you watch a cooking show and they taste the water, they taste the food and they need more salt and they start adding it to it, right? It adds flavor, it adds profile, it makes it better, right? And so we as Christians, we're, we need to be here to add flavor, profile to the world with a godly wisdom, right? Without us, the world's going to fall apart. And then we talked last week about um, murder, all right, nope, two weeks ago we talked about Christ came to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law, right? He didn't come to get rid of it. The law is still there. The rules are still there. But he came to fulfill that and to make pay the penalty for failing it. Um, and then, we, then he goes on to talk about murder and adultery, right? Where do those begin? It's not the act of murder. It's not the act of adultery. That's the beginning of that sin. It begins in the heart beforehand, right? We talked about how we dehumanize people in order to get to that point where we're able to murder somebody or take advantage of them. And so that's making everybody human beings in our life, right? When we dehumanize people, it takes away God's glory. We're, we're knocking his creation down as opposed to lifting them up. But then we're going to go into another very important character that's important to to Christ and important to the world as we look at it today. Um, and if we as Christians are failing in this, we're bringing dishonor upon the Lord. 
So let's go to that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37. It says, again, you have heard that it's, it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven because it's God's throne, or by the earth because it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem because it's the city of the great king. Neither should you swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black, but let your words yes be yes and your no be no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for once again allowing us to, to gather together as beacons of light for this community, for this world. Father, I pray that, that you'll make today a lighthouse for the world to see what's going on from this building and that your light will shine through all our communities, through our neighborhoods, through our houses as we take it there, Father. But that you will just speak wisely through us, Father. But currently, right now, I pray that you would just speak to our lives now, Father. Convict us of where we fail you and convict us of where we've done wrong. That we can honestly come before you and repent of those sins. That we can truly be a part of your glory. We praise you and we love you in your name. Amen. Jesus starts off, this says, basically says, the old laws said to not break your oath, right? Basically saying, tell the truth. Right? You make, they, they would go together and make an agreement together. And there was a process in doing that in the Old Testament. Don't break it. Now, there were some loopholes that they could get away with with people, right? But then it goes on. Um, it says, but you must keep the oath to, you, to the Lord. So if you made the oath to God, there was no way of getting out of it. But man, you could get out of it if you did the right things and worked a certain way, right? And so that's what the law said. If you make an oath, keep it. Jesus, again, what does he want? He doesn't want law followers. He wants people of good character. Jesus says, don't make an oath at all. Right? Don't make the oath. You shouldn't have to say, I swear I will do this. I promise you I will do this. Right? We all remember when we were kids. Do you pinky swear? Right? Who remembers pinky swearing? Right? And we would, we would say, they would say, do you want, will you do this? Yes, I'll do it. Do you pinky swear? Right? That's an add-on thing. Why do they say that? Because they didn't trust you. Right? There, was, there was a chance. If you pinky swore, that means you were definitely going to do it. Or what was the other one? Cross my heart and hope to die. Right? Spoke a needle in my eyes. Is that the way it went? I can't remember. It's been too long since I was in elementary school. Right? But we, there were these silly little things that we would say that I'm going to do this, I promise. And it kind of holds on as it goes farther in life. People still say those things. But Jesus said, don't take an oath at all. He said, don't take an oath by heaven, right? Because whose home is that? That's, that's God's home, right? That's, that's his place as well. He's in control of that. And he says, we're by earth, right? That's his footstool, right? Don't mess with his footstool. That's his place. You can't take an oath. You don't have control, have control over the earth. How can, you, how can you make an oath by that? We're by Jerusalem, right? That's the city of the great king. That's Jesus' area. Right, so don't make an oath by heaven, earth, or by Jerusalem. And then it goes on, or even by your own head, right? Because do you have control over a single hair on your head? Right, we don't have control over it. Right, I, mine wouldn't be going gray if I had control over it. Right? So Jesus says, don't make an oath at all. Right? Instead, instead 
but you yes be yes and you no be no. If you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. They should, people shouldn't have to question as a follower of Christ if you're going to do it, if you say you're going to do it. If you say you're going to be somewhere, be there. If you say you take care of something, take care of it. All right, and that's what Jesus is saying. If you know is no, then let you know be no. Don't be wishy-washy. Right? I know people that, that you make a plan with and you're like, okay, are they going to be there? Are they not going to be there? I don't know. Right? Half the time they cancel on me right at the last minute because something better comes up. Right? Anybody know anybody like that? Anybody that you just can't trust? Now imagine you're not saved. Right? You're lost. You don't know anything about Christian. You don't know anything about God. You only... The only thing you have is a person that's a Christian. They say they're a follower of Christ. And they're always telling you to do something. They never do it. What does that tell you about God? What does that beacon of light, that salt, tell you who God is if you can't trust the one person that has a connection to God? Makes him untrustworthy, right? If that if if that's the rep, if you're the, if that's the representative of the God they serve and they're not trustworthy, how can I trust the God they serve? They don't have character. I can't trust them. I can't trust the God they serve. Why would I want to be a part of their life and be a part of what they have? It says any let your yes be yes, you know be no, and anything more is from who? From Satan. Right. If there's any distrust in you for people and they have to ask you, do you pinky swear? Do you promise? All right? That's a problem in your life. That's a struggle that you have. Because people in the world should be able to trust exactly what you say. So we'll look at kind of God's standard here. So I have some verses that kind of fit into the character aspect and following it. And so Psalms 51.6 says, Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, right? So it's talking to God. Surely you desire integrity inside of me, right? And you, and you teach me wisdom deep within, right? So God desires, wis, desires integrity deep inside of us. Not just the outward shell, right? Not just what we do in the integrity, but deep inside. Our thoughts, our our feelings, our wants, our needs, integrity inside of us. And so God will teach us wisdom deep within, not just a thought process, but just fill us with that wisdom that only comes from Him. In Proverbs 6, 19, uh, 16-9, it says, The Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to Him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, Feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. Right, you catch that? In hands that shed innocent blood, murderers, what was what preceded that? A lying tongue. God, God equates a lying tongue and murder in the same category. It's a crazy thought, isn't it? Brings a whole new definition to that little white lie that we we consider an okay thing to tell, right? We kind of, as society, we have what we call those white lies, right? That it's a lie that 
It was just to make them feel better. Or, But the Bible doesn't say have separations in that. It says, let you yes be yes, you know be no. Be truthful, be integ- with integrity, right? Proverbs 12, 12 says, lying lips are detestable to the Lord, but faithful people are his delight. Lying lips are detestable to the Lord. And then Colossians 3, 5 through 9 says, Therefore put to death what belongs to your worldly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath comes to disobedient, comes from the disobedient. You once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now you must put away all of the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Self, You are renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. See all those bad things and then lying is mixed in with those. Some of those things are things that we detest as human beings, right? Absolutely detest some of those things. But it says do not lie to one another, Right? And I'd venture a guess that that we as human beings and just people in general, we are really good at lying to somebody. And that's ourselves. And you say, I don't lie to myself. Just think about all the things you tell yourself, like, I'm gonna I'm gonna get up when my alarm clock goes off at five o'clock. I'm not gonna get up at five thirty instead, right? Do we ever tell ourselves that? I know I tell myself that just about every morning, right? That's lying to myself, right? Or I know I have a problem, so I'm not going to go do this. And then what do we do? We turn around and we go do it. We lie to ourselves. We lie to one another. But here it says, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature. Not Not just get rid of it. Not stack it to the side. Not run it off. Put it to death. That worldly nature. And then Revelation 21 it says, But cowards, unbelievers, vile murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Think about that list. Cowards, unbelievers, vile, murder, vile murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. By something that seems so simple in our human nature and thought process, in God's viewpoint, is mixed in with some really big things that we would all, in the even unworld, even ungodly people would say are bad things. But lying is mixed in there. He says their share will be what? in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. See, all those things are sin, right? And they draw us away from God. But thankfully, thankfully, if we dig into the Easter service coming up here soon, right? We're in this time period where we're selling some, celebrating something special that happened, right? And that's Jesus came to earth and he's telling us these stories and telling us what good character looks like and he's going to live to that good character. He's going to fulfill that character as we go through the book of Matthew. And then in the end, 
he's going to be punished for sins he didn't do. He's going to be punished because he chooses to be. All right? He's going to go humbly to the cross for, breaking, for rules that he didn't even break. Why? Because he loves us. Right, he says, uh, in John 3, 16, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? Jesus is doing this not because it's the easy thing to do. Right? I can think of a lot of easier things for God to do, for Jesus to do than to, to leave the heavenly throne come to earth as a baby and grow up to become an adult only to be beaten to within an inch of his life and then put on a cross and suffer and die. But he chose to out of obedience to his father. He didn't go grumbling and complaining. He went with good character and said, I will do this. And we know there was a time period where Satan was attacking him and saying, you, you don't want to go through this. You don't want to go through that pain as he was in the garden of Gethsemane. And he said, Father, if there's any other way, let it be. But if not, I will do this for you. I will give my life for these people. And just think if, if that was you, and you were Jesus, and you, and you knew the future, and you knew what your life would, that you would be the way you are today, and I'm going to die for that person. They're going to hate me at times. There's going to be people that still mock me 2,000 years after I've died and rose again and, and given them salvation. That would be so much harder to know the future. And there will still be people that don't want to obey and don't want that love of Christ. But Jesus says, you know what? Charles Robertson needs me. I'm going to give my life for him. Even just for one person, his death and resurrection was made worthwhile. And so I hope today that you've made that decision already. And then when I say Jesus said, Instead, uh, for God so loved the world that you can put your name there. God so loved Charles Robertson that he gave his one and only son. That when he believes in him, he won't perish. He will have everlasting life. See, in Romans 9 through 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Now the scripture says everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Right, so if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and that's, just, that's not, it's not just as simple as you're saying Jesus is Lord, right? It's not just a magic three words. Right? To confess means to fully admit something is true. Jesus is Lord. Right? And what is Lord? What does Lord mean? 
Is it just a word? Is it just a title for somebody? Like if we go back and we think about uh, in the Middle Age time when, this, when the Bible was translated into English, right, what was the word Lord meant for? Right? So think about um, Robin Hood or some of those Middle Age show, middle, those uh, Dark Ages TV shows when they talked about the Lord said I need to go, my Lord, right? It was a title of somebody, but that person had complete control over you. If, if you had a Lord that you served in that time period and you said no, they would kill you because you disobeyed. You didn't have a choice to, to obey or disobey. You obeyed the person you've put yourself under. They would sell their land to that, to that Lord and the Lord would let them live on the land. But when the Lord said it's time to go do something, you went and did it. They would gather up and they would say, all my people need to go to battle. And they would follow their Lord in bat, into battle. So when we say Jesus is my Lord, it's not some nonchalant thing that we say. I think we've lost the meaning of that in today's society. We, we, we think it's like Jesus is my boss. Right? We can tell our boss no, right? Je- I'm, I'm putting myself. What we're doing is when we say Jesus is Lord, we are saying I am under you and I will obey you in every way, aspect of everything that you have for me to do. There is no one else. I can't serve two masters. I can't have two lords. I can't have the Lord God and my Lord money or my Lord job or my Lord family. I only have one. And that is the Lord God, my Savior. Everything else has to come through his Willingness to allow us to go do what he's called us to do. So when we say confess that Jesus is Lord, it's not just something that's in passing or saying it just to go, okay, read this passage. Say, okay, Jesus is Lord, and I believe that he's, he died and rose again, right? To say that's easy, to confess it is a totally different thing. And then John, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, if we say we don't have sin, I'm doing nothing wrong. We're deceiving ourselves, we're lying to ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So as Christians, do we have sin? Yes. I, I don't think there's a perfect Christian walking the face of the earth. Right? We all have sins that we deal with, sins that we need to change. Right? And if we say we don't, then we're lying to ourselves, and therefore we have another sin on top of what we already had. Right? It says, but if we confess our sins, right? if we confess that we have the sins, and we go to God and we say, God, this is what I'm struggling with. This is where I failed you. Right? We have sins. We need to confess to God, this is where I'm failing you. He's faithful and and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from those unrighteousness. Right? He doesn't, it doesn't say he might. It doesn't say maybe he'll forgive you. Right? It says he's faithful to do so. He wipes them away. Right? When we get saved, everything we've done in the past is gone. There's no penalty for it. Right? Imagine it... Uh, I want to talk about and 
Whether you agree with it or not, there's a lot of talk about getting rid of student loans, right, for people, right, wiping away. With a signature, they want to just wipe it all away. All those payments are gone. Those penalties are gone. The, it's all gone. It's no longer there. Right? And that's what God kind of does with our sin. He says, you know what? He doesn't deserve this. But they're gone. His account's clean. He's free to go. And so we go and we stand in, stand at the day in, in front of glory after we've died and we go stand before the judgment seat and say, why do you deserve to go to heaven? What's the answer? When I went to church every Sunday, I sang, took the offering, I mowed the church lawn, taught Sunday school. I even preached some. The answer might come back. Go away, I never knew you. You never confessed that I am your Lord. You did those good things for yourself. You looked good to the world. But you never confessed me as your Lord and Savior. Whereas we can stand before the Lord after we've confessed, we can say, because you wiped away my sin when I confessed you as my Lord and Savior. I didn't deserve it. I couldn't do anything to earn it, right? I can't earn that forgiveness from God. Only God can give that to me. But in no way do I deserve to have forgiveness. But he chose to love each one of us. He chose to leave his home in heaven and to come down to this miserable place. Right? We find this place pretty good. But I'm going to venture the people who have died and went to heaven. They're saying this place is miserable. It's horrible. Right? We have aches. We have pains. We have sadness. We have heartbreak. And Jesus left perfection to come here. To share the good news. And to give his life. So that we can join him in heaven. Because he loves us. And he doesn't ask much of us other than obedience, right? And not just being a rule follower, right? We all know the rules of going to church. We all know the rules of being in a Baptist church. How to, We could probably write a book on how to be a good Baptist, right? Anybody, else, anybody think they could sit down and write a good book on how to be a good Baptist, right? Being a good Baptist does not necessarily get you into heaven, right? Because being a good Baptist is following a bunch of rules and looking good on the outside, right? We can all fake it till we make it in a, in a situation and pretend to be doing everything right. Even when we're in our darkest place, even as Christians, when we've pulled away, we can walk into church, we can put a smile on our face, we can carry our Bible in and we can read it and we can talk about something that we know from the past, and we, have been, we could have drawn far away from God. We can follow the obedience. We can follow the rules. But God wants more than that. He wants the deep within our hearts. 
He wants to change us from deep within and give us wisdom. As it said in Psalms 51, 6, Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach wisdom deep from within. He doesn't just want. He desires it. Right? There's a difference between wanting and desiring, right? right? We want pizza sometimes. Right? We don't desire pizza. We should desire the integrity that God wants to have for us. We should desire to spend time in his word. We should desire to gather together with fellow believers and be a lighthouse for the world around us. We should desire God's love for us, God's compassion, um, God's kindness, his justice, his mercy, and his honesty, right? And we should desire to give those back to other people. So as we go this week, first thing we need to know, and as Cindy comes up to play, check yourself. Are you a, are you a person who is a good law follower? Right? Are you a good shell? Are you a good outside look for what God wants? Following all the rules. Or you have good character and being obedient deep on the inside. Being willing to do whatever God calls you because you've made him your Lord and Savior. So I challenge you to to truly look deep within yourself this week and ask yourself, where do I fit in? Am I a good Baptist or am I a follower of Christ? Am I a good, a good person that follows rules or am I following the God who loves me? My Lord, my Savior, my Master. Do I confess these, Lord, in just a passing way or is it a true relationship where he has control over every aspect of me? Seek that this week. Don't let that pass by because the answer to that question and what you do with it is not a small piece of what goes on in life. Because if you walk out that door and a car hits you and, you and your life ends, you need to be sure which person you are. Because it has eternal, uh, eternal consequences. And I truly hope that everyone here is saved. But there may be one person, two people, who have lived a good life. They've been in church every Sunday. They've done the right things. But throughout their life, it's always been a show. And you've, and you've known it, and, you've, and God's spoken to you, don't let today go by without changing that. Make him your Lord. Make him your master. He already wants to be your savior. Uh, he gave his life for that. Don't let today pass without making that true. Let's pray.